Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. I'm so glad you're here. I want to see you connect with God and with others. And uh, I pray that your heart is prepped today to really hear from the Lord. If you've got your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. We have been uh, studying through the Gospel of Luke. And today we find ourselves in what is probably the most popular chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, when it deals with the story of this prodigal son, the way he's been uh, named over the years, Charles Dickens made this statement. He said, that story is the gospel within the gospel. That story is the pearl of all parables. And I was like, ah, oh, it's so good. We're going to unpackage Luke chapter 15 today. And my prayer is that your heart is totally open uh, for the Lord to totally disrupt anything inside of you that's not honoring and glorifying him, and that you would be open to transforming change that the Lord wants to bring about in your life. That's who we are here, right? We want to see God change us from the inside out and make us into the people he wants us to be. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would have total freedom through the uh, outpouring of your Holy Spirit to do just an amazing work in this room right now. For those in this room, for those that are watching online, I pray, Father, that uh, we would be open to you, we would be open to the words that you want to share, and we would be open to obey you and respond to you. Father, we are a desperate people in need of you and in need of transforming change. And so, Father, have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. We read that tax collectors, these uh, tax collectors of that day were viewed as some of the most corrupt people in culture and society. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, I like the way that's worded there, often came to listen to Jesus teach. Here's the fascinating thing when you study the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was inviting Jesus was loving, Jesus was caring, and even those that were considered to be the outsiders, the despicable, the notorious sinful people, they wanted to be around Jesus and listen to what Jesus had to say. Now, Jesus has been challenging the people. If you go back to chapter 14, he's challenging the people, hey, are you going to commit and follow me with everything you've got? He talks about counting the cost. He then even emphasizes that your devotion to me must take top priority. And the crazy thing is, as he was giving this teaching, he was attracting those that were starving for hope, not those that were starving and looking for religion. You follow me? Those that were starving for hope, they wanted to be around him. Verse 2 says, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he, Jesus, was associating with such despicable people he was even eating with them. If you even look back earlier in Luke, also it's referenced in Matthew. I, I want to read this to you. Jesus called this guy, Matthew, who was a tax collector and said to him, Follow me. The phrase follow me, when you study it, literally means this. I believe in you, and you've got what it takes to be just like me. Come with me. Come follow me, Matthew. And it says Matthew left everything behind and began to follow Jesus. 
Matthew then gave a party for Jesus in his house. There was a great crowd that showed up. As Jesus was reclining at the table, many tax collectors and sinners came, and they were reclining and dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they complained to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors, sinners, those filthy, dirty dirtbags? Why is he doing that? Jesus says, question to you guys, since y'all are accusing me and complain, uh, complaining against me and attacking me, I have a question for you. Who needs a doctor? The well, the healthy, or those who are sick? Who needs a doctor? Who needs hope? Who's more apt to search me out? Those that think they're well or those that know they're sick? So here's, here's the question for you. Here's the question. The question is not this. The question is not do you believe in God? That's not the question. But that question is thrown around in our culture oftentimes. Do you believe in God? That's not the question. The question is, what kind of God do you believe in? The deeper question is, what is your God like? What is your concept of God? What is your image of God? What is the heart of your God? That's what Jesus, Mama Kate, is driving home here. The religious ones, the religious elite, the ones that claimed we represent God, are the ones who are complaining with God. What a contradiction. The ones who claimed that they knew God and were representing, representing God are the ones who are complaining with God. You enjoy being around complainers? Complainers find fault with almost everything. Complainers are judgmental. They're negative. You start hanging out with them, it's my way or the highway. Complainers can be so exhausting to, to be around. Complainers assume the position of, I'm always right. They know everything. They focus on trivial details. And they will complain about you in front of others. They'll complain just to complain. When you start to look at the heart of a complainer, they're stuck in what was instead of what could be. The religious church folk were complaining with Jesus. But Jesus, on the other hand, was contagious. Jesus was inviting. He was compelling, known, notorious sinners like we want to hang out with Jesus. How many of y'all grew up in churches where people wanted to hang out with the church folk because they were loving and they were caring and they were inviting and they were contagious? You've got to ask the question, am I contagious or am I a complainer? The word contagious literally means to transmit from one person to the next if, if you got tested today, would, would you be found to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The buzzword back in 
2020 was, are you contagious? You need to keep your distance. You need to keep your space. You need to cover your face. The question is, have you tested positive for being filled with the Holy Spirit? You see, a contagious Christian is a person who is connected to and committed to and consumed with the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit that spreads that life onto other people. That's the question. That's the question. Do you test positive for the Holy Spirit? Do you test positive that you're spirit-filled, spirit-controlled, and being spirit-led by God's presence? You read data even today. There's about 340 million people in the U.S. Barna and some of these other research groups believe that over 200 million people in the U.S., or non-Christians, probably even more than that if you define being a Christian the way Jesus defined being a Christian. But then Barna would go on to say less than 5% of the people that call themselves Christians ever share the gospel with anyone else. Less than 5%. And we've got to stop and go, why is the church not contagious? Why is the church not effective? God commanded us to go into the world and share the gospel. It was not like this great suggestion. It's called the great commission. I'm commissioning you to go into the world and share the gospel. Share your faith. Evangelize. The word evangelism is the proclamation and communication of the gospel with a desire to convert. Are you a part of evangelizing, the proclamation, communication with the desire to convert. Are you informing others and inviting others to, to, to Jesus? Because every person on the planet has this infinite value in the eyes of God. And when God says, go love your neighbor, he meant, go love your neighbor. So that's so what he meant. I would encourage you to memorize one verse. 1 Peter 3.15, and this is what it says. Sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart. Sanctify him, set him apart, let him be the champion of your heart. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you about the hope that is within you. Always be ready, yet do it with incredible reverence toward God and gentleness toward others. I was at a men's gathering a couple weeks ago, and I've been meeting with these guys for a bit, just getting to know them. And uh, these guys had gone around and shared some of their stories, and they're like, hey, hey Cash, uh, we haven't heard you share your story. These guys don't really know who I am. It's a, it's a group in a different town. And I said, I, I hear you. And, oh, dude, we didn't tell you. We wanted to hear you. You might not be prepared today, but, uh, and I said, I'm fine. So as I laid out my story, about two-thirds into it, I said, I am commanded by my master to, listen, listen, always be ready. Paul told Timothy, be, be ready in season, out of season, no matter where you're at, no matter who you're with, always be ready. And as a believer, 
is a follower of Christ, we should always be ready. But I started thinking through this, like, why do so many people in the church even claim Christ? Why do they not share their faith? Why do they not share the gospel? I think for a lot of people, they have forgotten their own need of the Savior. Once upon a time when they were lost and wicked and vile, they're like, I, 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 they became desperate and needed the Savior. But over a period of time, they forget their own need. I think the second reason is maybe we have just allowed our love for God to become stagnant and people look and go, what, what's up with him? I go, he's just lukewarm. And lukewarm people have become complacent and apathetic and we might even have hidden sin in our lives that absolutely blocks us from really, really being on fire for the Lord. It's like, what happened? Why, why is that person not sharing? Or maybe we're afraid what others might think. We're people pleasers. We, we don't, we don't want to rock the boat. It's not a good reason. Maybe we don't even have relationships with people that are outside the church. That, that, that's not good. Maybe we don't feel like we're equipped enough. Oh, man, if I could just get one more class and be ready. Maybe we don't believe in the reality of hell. I can promise you this. Next week when we get into Luke 16, the story of Lazarus and the rich man and one going to the Father's presence and one busting hell wide open. Jesus believed in hell. We're at a place where maybe we have become like the modern day version of the Pharisees where we're better than. You know what we've got to have? We've got to have the Father's heart. We've got to get back and recapture what is heaven's heart. Notorious sinners often, often, often came to listen to Jesus teach, and the religious complained. So Jesus is about to unpackage this parable, this story. He uses three different examples in one story to illustrate to the religious church folk and to address the religious church folk regarding their accusations that they're making about him. When you read this chapter, everything hinges on verse 1 and verse 2. They're complaining. Look at who you're hanging out with. And Jesus is basically declaring throughout this entire chapter, I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. He is declaring that if you really knew the Father, you would rejoice when the lost get found. You would rejoice when the despicable want to hang out with God. That's what he's talking about here, Mason. He says, uh, if, if, if a man has a hundred sheep and he lost one, does he not leave the 99 and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he find, finally founds, finds the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders and he's rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his friends and neighbors and says, man, y'all got to come party and celebrate with me. Rejoice with me. I found my sheep which was lost. Listen to what he says, verse 7. This is the thing. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 self-righteous persons who don't think they need to repent. He's telling this. All right, hey guys, y'all are ripping me. Y'all are dogging me. Y'all are shredding me because of the compassion I'm extending to those that are lost. I've got a story for you. These people knew that sheep were known to stray. 
Sheep were known to wander. Sheep were known to get lost. They knew that sheep needed a shepherd. The audience knows that. The shepherd is responsible for every sheep. If the shepherd loses a sheep, unless he can prove to his owner that it was killed by a predator, he's got to pay for it. It's money out of his own pocket. So he would leave the flock and go after the one. Here's the point. Here, here's, here, 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 here's the point. And this is Jesus' point. Do y'all not realize that every person is valued and loved by God? That is his point that he is driving home here. Every person you meet is valued and loved by God. I was talking to my friend Kevin this week, and he was talking about the situation uh, with his football team. And, and he was talking about how this dad was just criticizing his son. If you need to get on him, if you need to rip him, if, if, you, need, if you need to just verbally get on him and, uh, and assault him, go for it. And Kevin goes, I was looking at the dad, and I'm looking at this little boy who's emotionally and verbally beat up by his dad. And he goes, I was like, how jacked up is that? And I said, it is. But here's the question. Who does God love more? The little boy laying over there on the bench trying to do a bench press or the dad over there yelling. They're both created in the image of God. God loves them both. And every person I meet, the truest thing about them is you're made in the image of God. God loves you. God is for you. God is not against you. It's like Jesus never looked at a person as despicable. Your story matters. Your story matters. You're an image bearer of God. It doesn't matter your family tree, your ethnic background, your sin struggle. The point is any, any, any person that repents and comes to Christ is to be celebrated. Oh, look at that. And we've got to understand this as well. This is the point that I would extract from this. God finds the sinner. The sinner never finds God because God ain't lost. People say, I found the Lord. I'm like, where? Where, where was he? No, the Lord found you. Repentance implies, repentance implies that there's a realization of sin. Man, I'm jacked up. I've royally messed it up. It's me. Repentance implies that I experience this godly sorrow and deep regret over my sin. Oh, Lord, I've rebelled against you. Repentance implies that I'm turning from sin and I'm turning to Jesus, and it's Jesus plus nothing that's going to complete me. The truth is everyone needs to repent. Everyone? Everyone. Only some realize it. And a lot of people in church culture who have been saturated and marinated and stuck in church culture for a long period of time, if we're not careful, we, we can start to lose our focus and our need for Jesus. We can start to enter into a lack of compassion for other people. We start to realize, hey, man, I'm good. I don't really need to repent of anything. I need to repent all the time. Attitude. Not good. And reality is, here at the cross, we applaud salvation. We applaud baptism. 
remember a few weeks ago, I got to baptize Lauren and Logan. There were a young couple that started showing up here. They came in here about 10 months ago. They hadn't been in church. Neither one of them had a church background, church affiliation. No type of God awareness really in their lives, any deep awareness. They start coming. They sit here. They listen. They lean in. They come back the next week. They sit here. They listen. They're leaning in. They start watching the chosen. They start like listening to what we're talking about. And then the more they start hanging, they're like, hey, we want to hang out with some other people that are like are hanging out with Jesus because we're trying to figure it out. Madison takes Lauren out, buys her a Bible. She came in that next week. That little girl was holding that Bible like she had, it's the most precious thing she had ever found in her life. She never had a Bible in her life. They come over to our house, they get on their knees, they pray to surrender to Christ. We met for about two hours with them, Barb and I, and we're on our knees. And, and a couple weeks later, they're baptized. I'm telling you, I'm standing back in the back before we go out to, to the baptism pool here. And that little girl was radiating. Oh, I was lost. Now I'm found. And I'm celebrating with her, and I'm celebrating with Logan. Why do you celebrate? Because you celebrate when the lost gets found. That's what we do. And that's the heart of heaven. That's what causes heaven to throw a party. That's what he said. There's a party going on in heaven. When the lost Tara comes out of the far country, comes out of a drug-infested, gang-infested life, and repents, let's party. Tara's home, baby. Let's party. What woman, if she has 10 silver coins and she loses one, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search for it carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin which I lost. There is joy rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over sinner, one sinner who repents. When a Jewish girl would get married in that day, she, her husband would give her this band to wear, this crown jewel, and it had these 10 coins in it. It was the version of that day of a wedding ring. So she would have this and she would wear it. And it would signify to the world, I'm married. I'm in covenant. I belong. And the point Jesus is making, y'all know this, guys. If she lost one of those coins out of that crown, it would be public embarrassment and humiliation. As a result of that, what's she going to do? These Palestinian homes were dark. She was breaking out the brightest light she could find. She was turning her house upside down. And when she found it, she was like, yes, I found it. Praise the Lord, I found it. That which is lost has been found. You ever lost anything? Searching for it? Remember buying Barb some diamond earrings and I lost it. I don't know where it's at. I think the bag fell off of it. And I remember like hands and knees combing through the carpet. Where is this thing? We've got to find it. That's the point. The heart of heaven rejoices. The heart of heaven is about the loss being found. Those that you have labeled as trash, as filth is vile, is dirt. Guys, they matter to God. And that's the point Jesus is driving home. Why can't you rejoice when the lost is found? Why can't you throw a party and celebrate 
these people hanging out with me. And then he goes on to emphasize the point that every person is valued and loved by God. All three of these parables point to the same thing. A man had two sons. The younger son said, Father, give me my share of the estate. The younger son got this inheritance. He left, went on a journey to a distant land, wasted his money on loose living. When he had spent everything, he was bankrupt. Took a job feeding pigs. Jewish dudes don't hang out with swine. They don't even eat it. No one was giving anything to him. He was broke. He was bankrupt. And then the scripture says when he came to his senses, what am I doing? I'm going to get up and go to the father. I'm going to say to him, father, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. So he came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, a long ways off, his father saw him, felt compassion He ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, and the father said, I'm reading through this, and I'm like, do you not understand the heart of the father? What is he saying? Hey, guys, look at me. The heart of heaven is he saw, he felt compassion, he ran, he embraced. It's all these action words of affection and love. And and this would have been mind-blowing in this culture. You're going to tell me he went and squandered everything he had? Yeah. Yeah. And when he got home, well, Jesus said, you know what the Father, the heart of heaven, you, you know what the compassionate heart of, father, of, of the Father does? Listen to this. B- bring out the best robe and put it on him. The best robe? This was a statement of God saying, listen, I declare the most notorious, despicable, lost, vile sinner righteous. This was a statement of righteousness. Put the robe on him. The Father is declaring, you're righteous. When when I came out of the far country and repented and came to the Father, one one of the things that blew my mind, that shattered me, that brought me to my knees, was realizing and believing that when God looked at me, he declared me righteous. Oh, you're righteous. No matter what your past had been, you were lost. You've come home. You were dead. You've been found. The father goes, Tim, you're righteous in my eyes. Because he who is under the blood has been cleansed. I'm righteous? Yes. Put the ring on his finger. The ring represented power. It represented authority. It represented covenant. Put that signet ring on that boy's hand. Y'all don't understand the father. Look at the father's heart, guys. Who's he talking to? Church folk. Church folk that dogged other people. Church folk that labeled other people. Church folk that looked down on the sinner. Y'all don't know the heart of the father. He's given his son power. He's bringing him into covenant, Derek. He, he was out there. Put sandals on his feet. Sandals, yes, so that he can walk out this new identity of who he is. Put some shoes on my boy's feet. And go ahead and kill the fatted calf. Bring out the best beef we've got. Kill it. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. Why? Because it was a portrait of saying, I want you to enter into the deepest fellowship with me that you can ever think possible. I want you to come and enter into this unending joy with me. Who's this audience? Church folk. Church folk who were calloused, cold, aloof, that were not representing the heart of the Father. 
Does that make sense to you? What's the heart of heaven? You're valued. Oh, I love you so much. You do? That's what he says. Look, the son of mine was dead. He's come to life again. He was lost. He's, 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 he's been found. He, he was lost. Do you not realize he was lost? I remember about three and a half years ago, after Rachel got her second DUI, she shared her story. My daughter, she had moved to Nashville, moved back, moves to Texas, moves back. And she's out there. She's drinking and she's partying and she's wasting away. But when she repented, I'm coming home. Throw a party. Celebrate her. We love her. This is my baby girl. She's coming back home. How can you do that? Because it's my baby it's my girl. Because I was scared. You were scared? Yeah. I, 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 I was scared that I was going to get that phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning to show up at whatever morgue and have to unzip a body bag and identify her when she was out in the distant land. And I told her, Rachel, that was a concern I had. Am I going to get that call? Why did you think that? Because daddy and mommy's not exempt, that happens every day. Somebody gets that phone call, baby, every day. Somebody's baby doesn't come back out of the far country. Somebody's baby squanders it and dies in the wastelands of sin. Celebrate. But, but, but if she repented, did she go from like total hellraiser and did she spend like 180? No, there was a 1% change today. And then there was another 2% change over the next week. You know what we fail to do as a church at times? We fail to celebrate the 1% change. Repentance is not necessarily 180. Repentance is, I'm changing, Derek. I'm changing. Derek and Michelle were a part of our fellowship. They stayed in here for a bit, and then they drifted. Drifted into sin. Michelle got called up. In New Age living, crystals, Scientology. I mean, it was absolute witchcraft. And our friend Rachel, who attends here, just this little, young, innocent, 27-year-old mom, young girl, kept loving on Michelle, kept just befriending little Michelle. And Michelle and Derek, all of a sudden, they start coming back in here. And through violent repentance of turning from sin, is like, man, I'm home. And I'm like, I told Derek today, I celebrate you being home. You were out there, and you're no longer there. What is the heart of heaven? The heart of heaven is celebrate. Y'all, y'all, y'all are mad at me because you don't know the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father loves these people. The heart of the Father loves all people. I wrote this down as I was thinking through it. The younger son chose to run from the source of freedom. The older son refused to acknowledge the source of freedom. They both are lost. And Jesus is challenging you and I just like he did the religious sect of that day. 
how can you degrade that which is created in the image of God? I love the statement, this brother of yours. This brother of yours, this sister of yours, no matter what their ethnic socioeconomic status is, through creation, every person I meet is a brother or sister of mine through creation. They can become a brother or sister of mine through entering into the redemption that Christ has offered. This brother of yours, do you see people that way? I stood in the back in the first service this morning, and I was like, look at that girl worship. Look at her. We met Tamika. Tamika works at Huey's. We would go in and grab chicken. We started talking to her. Hey, where are you at with God? I'm searching. This girl has been coming every week for the last three weeks, and I was watching her on the backside of our services. We were entering into worship, and her hands are being lifted up, and she came to me, and she came to Teresa, and she was just like, oh, thank y'all. Thank y'all. Where has she been? I don't know. Where's she been? I don't care. Where's she at? She's running to the Father. Her heart is in need of a surgeon. Her soul is in need of a friend. What happened? Let me say this to you and wrapping it. This story is not about a sheep. This story is not about a coin. This story is not about two boys. This story is about the relentless heart of the Father, the loving heart of the Father. I was reading through it, and I'm like, what's the heart of the Father? To rejoice and celebrate when the lost is found. Come on. The sheep was lost. The sheep probably knew it was lost, and the sheep didn't know what to do. So the father went after it. The coin was lost. The coin didn't know it was lost. And it couldn't do anything about being lost. And the lady found it. The son was lost. He knew he was lost. He could do something about being lost. It's like, man, I got to go back home to daddy. The older son was lost and didn't think he was lost and refused to do anything. And he is the most lost out of all the lost in Luke chapter 15. It's the people stuck in religiosity. It's the people that think they're okay. That need an absolute spiritual awakening. When you go, I'm a beggar looking for bread. I need the Father's love. I need the Father's embrace. Where are you at today? I pray that you would lean into the Lord. I pray that you would lean into the Father's affection. I pray that maybe you haven't been to church in a while. You sit here. I can tell you the Cross Loganville is a place to repent. The Cross Loganville is a place to be restored. It is a place to be loved on. It's a place where your story matters. And that through the, the powerful working of the gospel, God can radically change who you are. And we've got a ton of people in this room that say, that's the truth. That's the truth. That's my story. Right, Sandra? That's, that's our story. So 
Let's lean into prayer. And let's lean into some more worship time. But let's get our hearts prepped.